Well, good morning, and there's a whole crew of people out in the lobby again, kind of like Easter. So to all of you in the lobby, we apologize that you can't get a closer seat, but all these people came about 7 o'clock this morning and camped out in here. Sorry about that. It's a great day. It's a wonderful day, and I know that for many ladies in the room, it is an awesome day. But I also know, I've been doing this long enough, I know that for some of you in this room, it is an awful day. It's tough. And so I really wanted the message today to like be broad enough for all of the ladies in the room. And so I called the expert and I said to her, I need your help. To which she said, you always need my help. (laughs) And she's right about that. So if you've never met my wife, this is my bride, Danita, of 31 years. Thank you. Happy, happy Mother's Day. We have three children, and I just want to say happy Mother's Day to you. Oh, thank you so much. And I want to wish all the moms here happy Mother's Day. Um, it's a privilege to be here. I'm honored to have this time with you. I was looking in some photo albums this past week, and I came across a few pictures on Mother's Day, the first of which was on um, in the year of 1996, and Emily had just been born. Take a look at this. Aren't they sweet? And Erica thinks she's the mom at this point, even though it's Mother's Day. Um, They're peaceful, you know, looking at the camera, doing what they're supposed to do. Let's take a look at another one, 2001. Um, This was at Shelby Farms in Memphis, Tennessee. And at this point, Emily has figured out how to be silly for the camera, right? So why is it that with each year that passes, they just get, it becomes more and more difficult to just get a family photo? I mean, moms, don't we love family pictures, right? All you want is a family photo. Well, I want to show you our most recent picture. Now, this was on Easter, but before I show it to you, I got to give you a little background. This was about a month ago on Easter Sunday, and Kurt had preached four sermons, and so consequently he was tired, you know, didn't have a lot of energy left. I had rushed home to get the, the Easter dinner ready, and everybody had arrived, and he, he got there about 2 o'clock. I said, okay, Kurt, don't take the suit off. I want to get a family photo. And he looks at me and says, you've got 30 of my best seconds. So I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> 30 seconds, and I got to pull this together. Everybody out the front door, we got to get a family photo. This is not staged. I promise you, this is what it looked like. That's our family photo. (laughs) So let's just start over here on the left. Um, This is Jeff, and I'd just spoken with Jeff a few hours before, and I said, look, Jeff, it's Easter. Don't you think maybe, you know, want to put on some dress pants, dress up? And he said, not conforming. I'm not conforming to the patterns of this world. He said, I'm boycotting suits. So I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to take a family photo anyway. Erica, our oldest. Oh, by the way, Jeff will become our son-in-law October the 2nd. So we're excited about that. Yeah. Um, Erica is laughing hysterically because her dad, once again, is saying... I pray to the Lord Jesus, you know CPR, because in 10 seconds, I'm going down. (laughs) And I'm just giving it this. Can we all just look at the camera? I just want a family photo. Um, Ethan, he's pondering the situation, thinking, okay, I've already led worship four times. I'm ready to eat. How long are we going to be out here? 
Alex, his friend, had, she's never been over um, for a family dinner before, so I'm sure she's wondering how in the world did I get in this mess, this situation. <laughs> Emily, she's kind of looking my direction, probably thinking, Mom, I don't know what to tell you. I've been dating him now almost six months. He's just crazy. He's got this going on. <laughs> the kung fu thing. I don't know. This was our family photos. I could just feel the anxiety kind of rising within me. And, um, but, you know, I'll tell you, it's brought about a lot of laughter, so that's fun. But anxiety, that's what I want to talk to us about this morning. Um, we all have it at some point, right? I think what happens in life is that circumstances come about, and when we don't think or feel like God is in control, that anxiety just begins to rise up within us. And we, we just push the panic button. You know, it's real easy to look back several years back and see how God is in control and he's been orchestrating the events in your life or reigning over the affairs um, in your life. But when it's in the present, how do we as women manage it? How do we handle it? So I thought it would be a good idea to take a look at some of the Bible characters, some of the women and some of their sources of anxiety. Because nothing is new under the sun, according to Ecclesiastes, right? So let's take a look at it. The first one is Noah's wife. Source of anxiety? Ark construction. Now think about it, ladies. Okay, think about it. He was involved in a century of constructing a boat. That's grounds for divorce. What do you think? Yeah? Okay, the next one. Sarah. And Sarah's sources of anxiety is infertility. And because of that, she took a shortcut. And that's caused a lot of problems throughout all of history. Mm -hmm. Lot's wife, disastrous loss. Her home, her life, everything she'd ever known for years was melting in an acid bath behind her. Now, what would keep her? Think about it. From looking over her shoulder. How many of you would have wanted to look over your shoulder and see what's going on? What would have kept her from that? It only led to anxiety. Hagar. She's a refugee. Um, Abraham sent her away. And she doesn't have enough food and enough water for her son. And she doesn't know if they're going to live or not. And Rebecca, her source of anxiety, severe control issues. She tricked her husband into honoring their, old, their son over the oldest brother, Esau. She was a master of manipulation. And this just created anxiety. The next one would be Leah. And the Bible calls her unattractive. I don't call her unattractive. I never met her. But I'm just saying the Bible calls her unattractive. And that was a great source of anxiety because she was rejected uh, by her husband because her husband favored Rachel. Okay, uh, we, we have Rachel next, source of anxiety. Dynamics of polygamy. See, she had to deal with the realization that the homely wife was able to have children, and she was not. You know that TV series on TLC, um, Sister Wives? Got nothing on this family. <laughs> Next one. Jochebed. This is Moses' mother, and Jochebed had to put baby Moses in the basket and float him down the Nile with all those crocodiles. Miriam, opposition of godly leadership. See, she opposed her brother Moses' leadership, and this created some health issues. So her anxiety, she was struck with leprosy. Now, you talk about feeling anxious. 
Rahab would be some immorality issues. The Bible says she was a prostitute. Can you imagine the guilt and shame in her moments of quietness? Delilah, entanglement of greed. She was trapped by an endless entanglement of greed. What she did basically was she sold the source of her husband's strength for money. It just led to more and more anxiety. Martha, she was a warrior. Any warriors in the room? Only three of you, the rest of you are liars, liars, okay? Bottom line is she just was filled with anxiety. She worried about everything. Mm-hmm. And the Samaritan woman, source of anxiety, divorce. She had had several failed marriages, just created a lot of anxiety within her. Then lastly is the widow with the two mites, financial problems. She kind of defines and defiles uh, poverty. So you see, anxiety affects 40 million adults in the United States. And women are twice as likely to have anxiety disorders as men. So, ladies, how are you doing this morning? How did you come to church? Do you have um, feelings of, of worry, fear? Um, are you deeply troubled? Now, what's going on in your life today? Um, I wanted us to take a look at a story out of 1 Samuel because it's about a lady named Hannah. And she went to church, much like you've come to church this morning, and she was just burdened by worry and fear and stress. But she handled it in a way that I think is so... I love it because it gives us a template. It gives us a format for how we can deal with whatever pain... In her case, it was infertility, but whatever pain that you're experiencing, she gives us a template to to deal with that. So actually, there were two roads to choose from. I'm going to call her road the, the, the Hannah Highway because her road ultimately led to deliverance. On the other hand, was the, is the hopeless highway. And many of us, when we are faced with situations, with trials, with pain that bring up anxiety within our lives, we... We go down this highway, and the the problem is it never leads to deliverance. Usually this is a pathway of excessiveness, and we we excess on food, alcohol. When we're feeling anxious, we excess on shopping, right? Does that make you feel better temporarily? Um, We excess on um, anxiety medications. We excess on um, on control, manipulation, on whining, complaining, all the above. But you know what? In the end, you don't feel any better. The pain is still there. We haven't taken care of the anxiety. Um, Hannah wanted deliverance, and she chose the path that ultimately got her that. So there's two paths. Say, Hannah Highway... Say a little bit more enthusiasm, okay? That's the good highway, all right? Say Hannah Highway. Hannah Highway. Say Hopeless Highway. Hopeless Highway. So let's look at the Hannah Highway from 1 Samuel chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 2 through 8. So if you want to follow along or turn there, 1 Samuel 1 verses 2 through 8 right now. The he is the husband, Elkaniah. He had two wives. One was named Hannah, the other Penina. Penina had children. Hannah had none. So you can kind of figure out the source of her anxiety, right? She didn't have children. She wanted children. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, they were the priests of the Lord. 
Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and she would not eat. Her husband Elkaniah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? That's a funny verse, isn't it? What's the answer to that, ladies? No, you blockhead. No, you don't mean more to me than ten sons. Look at verse 9 and 10. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting uh, on his chair by the, doorpost of the, by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. So what, what's taking place in this part is the priest thinks she's drunk. And she's not drunk. She's just very upset. Now, here's the Hannah Highway. If you've got your bulletin, you want to fill in some notes, we're going to give you some of those blanks to fill in right now. And the first thing that we're going to notice about Hannah is she prayed. Chapter 1, verse 10 says this. And she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed to the Lord, and she wept in anguish. Just like what Danita said earlier, she didn't go that excessive route. She went the prayer route. Secondly, she persisted. She didn't just throw up a little prayer and say, help me, bless me, give me. She actually began to persist. And verse 12 tells us this. And she kept on. It's kind of a present continuous verse tense. She kept on, she kept on, she kept on praying to the Lord. Thirdly, she poured it out. Verse 15 says she's pouring out her soul. Hannah replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. Now the priest thinks she's drunk. He thinks she comes to the temple loaded. She's not drunk. She is so upset. And she says, I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Now, how much did she pour out her soul? Go back to verse 10. Verse 10 tells us this. In the bitterness of her soul, she is weeping. There's a tribe in Central Asia called the Tartar tribe. And the Tartar tribe, they were known for calling curses on their enemy. And the curses that you would expect them to call down would be like, you know, to their enemy, may all your crops rot, may your swords, you know, rust, may your horses, you know, fall off the cliff. But that's not what they did. Their curses were this, may you stay in one place for the rest of your life. And ladies, that's exactly what the enemy is yelling in our minds today. May you stay in one place the rest of your life. See, he wants you to stay tormented with pain. And paralyzed with anxiety. He wants to keep you from moving on. He wants to distort your self-image, crippling you from ever becoming all that God wants you to become. Or doing what he want, he's called you to do. See, it was hard for Hannah. Take a look at, at the verse, um, verse 7. It says, this went on year after year. It wasn't just a situation of a month or two months. This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and she would not eat. So you know what it feels like to be so upset and so disturbed you can't even eat, right? You've lost your appetite. That's where Hannah was. She was so serious, though, about not staying in the same place. 
She wanted to move out of that. She didn't want to stay in the same place. So she made a promise, and she made a vow before the Lord. So ladies, pay attention to this, because here's where the music changes. Here's where we get to the resolution, to the solution of her deliverance. Go back now to verse 11, and verse 11 says this. And she made a vow, so circle the word vow. We'll come back to vow in just a minute. And she said, Lord Almighty. Now, that's a name for God, which means you're the commander. You're Jehovah Sabbath. You're the commander of the Lord of hosts, which means you're the big dog. And this is exactly the same name of God that David uses when he's getting ready to fight Goliath. He's calling on this commander of the Lord's armies. And so she's saying, basically, if if you will only look on your servant's misery, and if you will remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, we don't quite get this, but it's called a Nazarite vow. And what the Nazarite vow was is that basically she's saying he's going to be sacred, He's going to be separate. He will be separate from all the other men because he's going to be given to the house and to the work of the Lord. And when she made that vow, she had no idea that her son Samuel would actually have to confront Eli and his two wicked sons. She had no idea what was in store, that this boy would be the very boy who would confront King Saul and all the shenanigans that went on in King Saul's life. And so what does God think about vows? We don't really talk a lot about vows today, but I want to read two different passages of Scripture right now just to kind of tell you about God's viewpoint when it comes to vows. The first one is from Numbers. Numbers chapter 30. Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel, this is what the Lord commands. When a man or a woman makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Oh, that's Old Testament. Well, let me show you a New Testament one, Matthew chapter 5. Again, said Jesus, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. So what were the three words out of Haggai 1-7? Remember, consider your ways. Say that with me. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Now, we've looked at Hannah, and we've considered her ways. Now, let's start looking introspectively, ladies, and let's think about our ways. So when you're filled with moments of anxiety, with pain that leads you to anxiety, what do you do? What's the very first thing you do? Well, the very first thing that Hannah did was pray. It wasn't the second or the third or the fourth after she had you know, called her friend or talked to somebody. It's not like it's this way for you. It's not after you, you call your friend or your spouse or your mom or your doctor or your therapist or, or put it on Facebook so everybody can see it and know about it and think about it. Prayer is the first thing that you and I should do when we're filled with anxiety. What about per, um, how it changes your perspective? You know, when you pray, you are shifting your perspective from the problem from the pain in your life, and you're moving your eyes over to the Lord Almighty. It doesn't get any more big or bold, bolder than that. This is the God who is the commander of the armies of heaven and earth, and he is so willing to fight for his children. So when you find your moments and moments of anxiety, do you persist? You know, it says that Hannah 
prayed. She continued to pray. She didn't stop after one prayer. She didn't think, oh, well, Lord, you're just not going to answer this prayer. You haven't said anything or, you know, answered me, so I'm just going to stop here. No, she continued to persist in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says, pray continually. See, it's that continual, persistent, incessant prayer that plays such a huge part in us dealing with our anxiety. Hannah kept on praying. So when you find yourself in moments of anxiety, do you pour it out? Um, Lamentations says in 219, arise, cry out in the night. As the watches of the night begin, pour out your heart like water on behalf of the in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children. And also in Matthew 6, 6, this is a verse that, you know, I was younger. You saw the pictures of my children when they were little. You know, when sources of anxiety would rise, maybe there was um, a decision to make for our children or um, a discipline issue or whatever would come up, as you well are, you're familiar with. Um, I read this verse and I thought, okay, Lord, I'm going to take this, I'm going to memorize it and take it to heart and put it into practice. But when you pray, go into your room, your closet, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And there were two reasons why I chose to just really hold on to this verse. Number one, I believe with all my heart. When he says, when the Father, he says, who sees what is done in secret will reward you, I believe that. I believe it's true that he will reward me for going in my closet and pouring it out. Number two, ladies, it's a great place to hide. Go in your closet, turn off the light, shut the door, and they can't find you. I remember so many times when the kids were little, I could hear them run up and down this, the, the hallway or up and down the stairs. Where's mom? Where's mom? Where'd she go? And I was thinking, okay, Lord, I'm going to stay quiet as a little mouse in this closet. They're yeah, not going to find me. We couldn't find and you. And they couldn't find me. <laughs> we then he caught was. on, and I don't know if the kids ever did, but that's where I would go to pour out my heart. You know, something happens when you pour it out before the Lord. We receive his word in faith. And what was the result for Hannah? Let's take a look at verse 18. And then she went on her way, and she ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. See, the burden was lifted. The, her appetite um, came back and returned. Prayer accomplished for her what no amount of, you know, talking to somebody else, um, whining, complaining, control, excessiveness, excessive shopping, excessive um, food, alcohol, excessive um, medications. It accomplished for her what none of that can do. And so this was an incredible shift for her. She took her eyes off of the problem and she moved them on to the commander of the armies of heaven and earth who was ready to fight for her. Ladies, I want you to read with me um, Philippians 4, 16, because Philippians 4, rather, 6 and 7. This is an antidote for anxiety. Memorize it. Share it with the men. All right, here we go. Do not be anxious. Let's read it together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we see this Hannah Highway from Hannah. I have seen it in Danita for 31 years. And now we want to show you a clip from the movie War Room. And in this movie clip, Priscilla Schreier does exactly that. She's a modern-day Hannah. Watch this clip. I don't know where you are, devil. But I know you can hear me. You have played with my mind and had your way long enough. No more. You are done. Jesus is the Lord of this house. And that means there's no place for you here anymore. So take your lies, your schemes, and your accusations and get out in Jesus' name. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my daughter. And you sure can't have my man. This house is under new management. And that means you are out. And another thing. I am so sick of you stealing my joy. But that's changing too. My joy doesn't come from my friends. It doesn't come from my job. It doesn't even come from my husband. My joy is found in Jesus. And just in case you forgot, he has already defeated you. So go back to hell where you belong and leave my family alone. See, that's what I'm talking about, ladies, pouring it out. That's the epitome of pouring it out before the Lord and doing spiritual warfare like that. Um, it's incredible. She was so committed to her, the vows for her marriage and for her family. So let's, let's look at Haggai 1-7 one, one, one more time. Consider your ways. And I want you to stop for a moment and consider your ways as it pertains to your vows that you've made to God and to your family. What about your vows for your marriage? How are you doing with that this morning? How are you doing with your vows that you've made to raise your children by godly standards? How are you doing with your vows to abstain from addictive behaviors? What about vows or promises that you've made just to keep your mouth closed, to keep your mouth shut? Vows are important to God. See, you may not know when you make a vow before God the magnitude of it. You may not understand exactly what it means and what it's going to mean down the road or in, you know, in the future. But God knows he has heard your vows, and it's important to him. I know over the course of 31 years, I've been asked um, about my marriage vows. Have you ever considered divorce? And I can wholeheartedly say to you that I have never considered divorce. However, <laughs> there's always a however, right? No. On many occasions, I have considered murder. No. 
sleeps. That's why I sleep with one eye open every night. So in 1 Samuel, let's move on from that. Uh, 1 Samuel 1, 20 talks about in the course of time. And this is something else that's so important that we understand that sometimes when we pray, it gets answered immediately. And sometimes when we, get, we pray, it gets answered on this earth. And sometimes it will be answered in the life to come. But here's what 1 Samuel 1, 20, it says, So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked him from the Lord. Now, this is so cool because it, it's a continual, persistent pouring out, and she prayed and prayed and prayed in the course of time. Say that with me. In the the course course of time. time. Say it again. In In the the course course of time. time. Remember that. So how does God answer some of these prayers? Well, I want to look at Psalm 91 because this is calling out again to this commander of the Lord's armies. Psalm 91 says, because he loves me, says the Lord. Now let's just change the pronoun because it's Mother's Day. Uh, I will rescue her I will protect her, for she acknowledges my name. She will call on me, and I will answer her, and I will be with her or him in trouble. I will deliver her, and I will honor her. God can't wait to come and honor your prayers. Look at what he says in Psalm 32, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. So lastly, we see her praise. Again, if you're a note taker, this is the last fill in on that. She prays. She was able then to praise God because God had answered her request and God had answered her prayers. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 1 gives us kind of the answer. Then Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. And in the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. So what's the source of your anxiety this morning? I want to open a window of my soul to you this morning, just let you know a little bit about my life and some of the things that I've gone through. I'm just growing up. I was a PK, a preacher's kid, pastor's kid, and good experiences, but also not so great experiences. And I remember... um, uh, probably about seven years old or so, I was in the church parking lot in North Carolina standing there with my dad. And the congregation inside the building, they were um, having a congregational vote. And this was the protocol, a yearly thing they would do, and they would determine whether or not they wanted um, the pastor to stay on for another year. And I remember looking up at my dad and saying, you know, do we have to move? Did they vote? You know, we were out of here. And he just shook his head. And I buried my head in his arm and just cried. You know, just those feelings of rejection and pain and thinking, I don't want to move. I like our life here. My family's happy here. Um, But that was the decision that, in my little mind, I thought these Christians are voting us out. How can that be? And so that move then led to another move and another move and another move and another. And by then, I'm like, I'm done with this ministry thing. I don't ever want to marry anybody in the ministry. (laughs) I'm in college, and I'm dating this guy over here. And I think he tricked me. Honestly, I do. (laughs) 
Yeah, I was on, I didn't trick her. I was on the track to become a professor, and I thought that's what God wanted me to do. And it sounded good to me, but see, I know God was preparing me for such a time as this. But anyway, well, fast forward um, some years to Memphis. We were in Memphis for 16 years. A great experience. We we loved the people there, and they loved us. We had a wonderful relationship, no problems. Um, we grew up in the church as we raised our three children there. And then after about year 15 or 16, Kurt gets this nudge. I think I'm supposed to go check out this church in Safety Harbor, Florida. And all these feelings of anxiety, you know, the pain of moving. And I knew what that would do, especially to our children. That would be hard to uproot them and move them out of their life. Lives there, and I thought, oh, I don't want to do this. And one night in particular, he was showing our house. Um, it's on the market, and I just kind of slipped out the back door and went out into the dark and climbed up on top of our trampoline. And I was just lying there looking up at, at the stars, and I just started pouring out my heart. Lord, you know I've been through this a bunch of times. I don't want to move again. I don't want to move our kids. I don't want to put them through that source of pain, and I I like it here. You know, we're established here. And and besides that, Father, I think the man is crazy. He's lost his mind. (laughs) He's not on the right path here. So I'm pouring out my heart to him. I'm looking up at the Big Dipper, and I can clearly remember him saying, Danita, if you'll just obey me, just obey me. I will pour out so many blessings on your family that you can't even dream or imagine. And so this morning, as I look around at you guys, all of you here, I know that God is sovereign and he's reigning in the affairs of our lives and we are exactly where we're supposed to be. I didn't see it then. And see, that's the problem. When you're in the midst of it, You can't see it, and you're thinking, okay, God, where are you? So that leads to this anxiety. So we have a choice whether we're going to go down the Hannah Highway or we're going to go down the Hopeless Highway. We have a choice in our lives. So think about your choice this morning. We we want to do this for you now. We want to have a prayer time. Mm -hmm. And so with all the ladies in the room, just be seated. But think about your greatest source of anxiety. And we talked about this all week long. Is it anxiety that rules or is it pain? And the pain is anxiety. And the anxiety brings pain. And so the answer is kind of yes. It's kind of a symbiotic relationship. But what's the greatest source of your anxiety today? Don't nudge him if he's sitting next to you, okay? (laughs) But but honestly, you've, you've come into the room today with pain. And you come into the room today with sources of anxiety. And we want to give you an opportunity right now just to pour that out to our Heavenly Father. So just stay seated, and I'm going to pray over you and with you. Close your eyes if you want to, but bow your heads, and let's let's pray together. So, Lord Jesus, you died for us. And you promised that you would place your Holy Spirit inside of us. And you promised that you would never leave us or forsake us. And you promised that your Your way is light. Your burdens are light. Your yoke is easy. And so we come this morning and we we give these to you. Whatever all these wonderful women in this room come to you with, 
I'm, I'm not even going to start to, I'm not even going to list them. Because I, I don't know all the different anxieties that are in this room this morning. I, I just know we got them. So we pour out these prayers to you. And we persist. And we praise you. Because you're the only way. Jesus, the road you tell us that leads to destruction is wide. But really, it's deliverance is narrow. The narrow road leads to deliverance. So we all want that. We all want to be delivered. We just need some hope this morning. We just need some help this morning. And so we come to you today, and we come and we praise you and we thank you. Because we know that you love us, you like us, and you want to carry us each and every day. So, Father, we praise you, and we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus today. Amen.